This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So how about that title, The Film Crew? Uh, I have been on a uh, film set for the past week, as some of you in here have also been. And I uh, can't say anything about that uh, film set. That's one of the funny things about being on a film set. It's all hush-hush. But it has been a very, very unique experience. Now, it's not that I haven't been on film sets before. I've just never really participated in the crew side of it. I'm usually just an observer. And so it has been tremendously illuminating. And I would say, and I know this is going to sound like a fairly bold statement, but I would say up to this point in my life, it's probably the best picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be in how it functions together than even what we're doing here <laughs> in this room, which is you know, somewhat of a backhanded slap at the Church of Jesus Christ. But I would say we have so many formalities and so many traditions in the body of Christ, it's almost hard to reset and to get to what we all know we want, which is sort of a, to be a film crew. How a film crew ended up doing this better than we do it, I'm not exactly sure. Now, their end isn't the glory of God always, Their end isn't to produce the gospel, isn't to share the life of Jesus with the nations, but it's interesting how they work together and how they are interdependent upon one another. And there is, even though there are certain roles in a film crew that are more dynamic and more uh, celebrity-like, you know, you have your director and you have your uh, director uh, of photography, you have uh, the actors and actresses. You have different people that are like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they become sort of famous in the, in the ranks. Every role in a film crew is of the utmost importance. And technically, you don't want to have any extra baggage. So if they're not important, you don't want to be paying them. Because everything about the budget of a, of a film is very uh, tight. And you have to be very cognizant of every dollar spent. And so as a result, everything is strategic. So if you're there on, in the crew, you're important for the crew. You're important for the production. And so we as the body of Christ, we're producing something eternal. We are doing something that is meant to change the world. And yet our coordination and our organization is very poor. It's very paltry. So on a film crew, I'm going to get a... uh, a, What's our daily? What's that thing called that I get every day? A call sheet. Boy, thank you. I don't know where that went in my brain. You'd think, have I spent the last week uh, on a film set? But you get a call sheet. And you know what that call sheet tells me? It tells me where I need to be the next day. I mean, the location, the time. It tells me every detail of what we're doing together that day. It tells me even my unique role in that day, what I'm supposed to be doing, what they're expecting me to do. That's extraordinary. Could you imagine if all of us dished, you know, received a call sheet from the Holy Spirit every day and we knew precisely where to be, what we were supposed to be doing, and we were ready to serve a common purpose. Not our own agenda, but something God was producing. And so I have been deeply inspired through that, but it's not necessarily just to make films. 
It's to publish the gospel to the nations. And so what I'm going to tell you is something you've heard me talk about many, many times, which is why I'm very attracted to what I'm seeing on a film set. Now, I, I'm, I happen to have hung out on some very healthy film sets. And I'm actually, I've been told that not all of them are healthy. So what I'm witnessing that is strong in this situation is not always strong. And you can get the prima donna uh, thing. You can get the insecurity over here where these people are, you know, lower uh, echelon and these people are what it's all about. And you could easily do that in a film set. You could just call it Hollywood. Uh, at the same time, when it's done right, which is what I've been able to witness, I've been able to witness something rather spectacular. It is truly a remarkable sight. So as we, uh, well, I have on the screen a film crew, the miracle of cooperation and oneness of purpose. Everyone is doing the same thing. They're working towards the same end. So I have had in my mind a lot over the last years, and I'm going to quote something from 2015 that some of you that have been around for a while are going to recognize. Uh, but this has been my desire for a long time. I, in a sense, didn't know I was saying, God, make us a film crew, right? We want to work together. I don't want this to be one man or you know, a handful of people that are doing all the work for the church. I want the church to know their role, know how to function, and let's do this together. So this is what I called back January 2nd of 2015. I called it my dream. Okay, now I've actually referenced this multiple times, but it's, it's fun to sort of bring up some of the old stuff. So here's my dream. I wanted this church to be a church that is always uncomfortable. Some of you are like, what kind of dream is that? Uh, you know, when you're uncomfortable in your spiritual life, you're sharper. It's when you start to grow comfortable uh, in what you're doing that uh, you usually start to grow moss on you. And there's something special about being uncomfortable. None of us really want it, but I desire it for you. And, but it's the right sort of discomfort. There's, an, there's a bad form of you know, discomfort, but there's also a good form of discomfort. Have you ever had it where you finally sort of feel solid in maybe your task, like what you're doing? It's like, I think I figured this out. All right, I'm starting to get good at this. And immediately God sort of amps up and, and brings you to a new task, which is a little harder. And you're like, what? God, couldn't I stay in that task for a little longer? I remember that's exactly what it was like for Leslie and I with the kids. So we have Hudson, and Hudson was a handful boy. Uh, and uh, so we survive, you know, the early uh, months of Hudson's life, right? And uh, then, you know, we're starting to get our act together around two years in, and suddenly uh, we end up with Harper, right? And uh, that was a whole new thing. So it's like we figure out one child, and then God layers on a second one. And now we're back in that, you know, uncomfortable, you know, off-balance state. And then we finally solve Harper, and then we get Kip, if you could just imagine that, right? And then Abby follows seven months behind. And so we were always sort of off-balance, but guess what? What were we doing in that off-balance, uncomfortable state? We were praying, and we were grabbing a hold of grace, and so as a result, we were prospering spiritually, which is why I would say the children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, because they strengthen the inner man of the Christian when we embrace them as opposed to push them away. It's the same with all discomfort. As you embrace it, it makes you strong. I want a church that is always wanting more of Jesus Christ. Boy, that sounds like a depressing church to have a church that doesn't want more of Jesus Christ. So maybe that should go unsaid, but I still wanted to declare it. A church that rejoices in all things. A church that forgets how to fear and only knows how to trust. 
Fear becomes a foreign agent. And if it ever shows its head, we're like, who's that? That doesn't belong here. Fear is much too familiar in the church today, especially when you have a huge Bible that declares, what is it, like 366 times, according to Richard Wormbrandt, that you should not have it in your life. That's a lot of repetition for one clear message. This should not be a part of our midst. We are a church that trusts in every situation. I don't care how dark it gets. We have confidence that God is in control. A church packed full of new believers. Now, you could ask me after six, almost seven years, uh, how advanced we've become in these things. And I'd say, I don't feel like we've done a great job. But that, you know, if you were to look at your, you know, parenting plans, you know, back in 2015, I don't know if you've ever had these things where you have these grand, you know, plans for how you're going to parent your kids and what's going to happen in their life. And then, you know, it's usually not as, you know, as exciting as you had it planned, but that's because there's a battle over these things. It's not like I can just map this out and it happens. You have to map it out and then you have to keep following the map. And even if it seems like there's a massive damper pedal upon it, you have to freshly resolve, no, this is what we're after. That's the entire story of Leslie, Leslie's in my life. If you look back at our early marriage and the vision we had, we're still fighting and having to remind one another, don't give up, keep wrestling. It's like 27 years and you still haven't gotten that and we're going to get it. You have to wrestle, you have to fight, you have to scrap for all of these things. The list goes on. A church where 30% of the congregation would be termed full-time missionaries. And if any of you have ever read, I don't know which chapter it is in uh, Peace Child when it talks about Prairie Bible Institute, that was one of the statements that was made that any visiting missionary could come to Prairie Bible Institute and look out at the crowd and know that at least 30% of those uh, collegians would end up on the mission field. I like that. I'd like it that anyone that gets up on this stage could look out at this group and say at least 30% will will end up in full-time missions because that's just what we're grooming here. That's what we're building. We're building a mindset to go into all the world, not to just, you know, huddle together in Windsor, Colorado. A church in which 100% of the believers inside it are involved in active discipleship. No, so that means you're either being discipled or you're discipling. Every single one of us is actively engaged. Of course, if you're winning new people to Christ, there's a lot of discipleship opportunities. But each one of us also needs to be continued in our own discipleship. It doesn't matter how aged we are in our spiritual life, we need to continue in our own discipleship. A church that prays together often and always, fervently and with persistence. I would say our church has done a great job of praying. I think we could do better. But that's, I think, the statement anyone on, that has ever lived a Christian life could say. So could your uh, uh, prayer life improve? Have you ever heard someone say no? How could it not? I mean, there's still more hours in the day. However, one of the things in that line, it says the church that prays together, we do that. Often and always. Well, we do it probably more than most churches. I don't want that to be a pat on the back, but we do it, Right. But it's not always fervently and with persistence. And so even when I read that, there's a fresh move inside of me to say, yeah, let's amp up the prayer. A church that gives of their time, their talents, their resources, and their lives. A church in which everyone is an evangelist and every believer leads at least 12 people to Christ annually. That was, this is my vision. It's not a rule. It's a vision. It's like, could you imagine if each one of us were after at least one soul a month? 
And I mean, if you look at it statistically, this gathering of believers would turn into billions in seven years if we all did that. And then everyone we win to Christ is doing the same. I mean, literally the multiplication factors are extraordinary. So it's just a a dream. A A church that becomes known as the happiest church in the world. I see no reason. In fact, it bothers me to think of another church out there that's happier than ours. Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't it make you go, okay, that's, that changes now. We have everything here, right here, to be the happiest on earth. As far as I'm concerned, we're like perfectly suited and set up to win the Olympic Games in that regard. So the Ludi family is aiming to be the happiest family on earth. I want to have the happiest marriage on earth. I want to be the happiest individual on earth. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't have the happiest church on earth. Okay, just a dream, just a dream. I have something to add to my dream. A church marked by heavenly integrity. Now, the reason I'm using that word, and it's very strategic for this particular message, is the word integrity has a lot of depth to it. You see, there's two definitions I have up on the screen right now, and the first one is the one that most of us are familiar with, and it's a good definition. Honest, honorable, faithful, true, loyal, and trustworthy. Even the ministry promise keepers came out of the definition for this word. A promise keeper is what a lot of people would even define integrity as. And that's a wonderful definition. But look at the second one. The second definition is what I think plays into this particular message well. Whole and undivided, unified, together, undistracted, undenominationalized. I had to make up that word. I don't think that word is an actual word, but it's a good word. Unwilling or unable to be broken into parts. And so this is where we get the word integer. An integer is a whole number, a number that is not a fraction, a thing complete in itself. It, has no, it doesn't break up into parts. So 1.25, that's an integer. One, the number one, it's whole. And so this word for integrity comes out of that same root idea. It's whole, it's undivided. We are not broken up into parts. We're not fractionalized or factionalized in our midst. And that has been a dream from the very beginning of Ellerslie. It's called the Ellerslie Experiment. I think we can do this together, even though we come from different spiritual heritages, even though we come from different denominational root systems. I believe that the body of Christ was designed to rally together and to function as a whole, not as parts. A body only functions if all the parts are playing towards one end. If my hand has a different agenda than my left ear, we're going to have a funny day. If my right hand is like trying to go out and, you know, experience, you know, the countryside out there and my left ear is trying to listen to the piano over here, we have a very different challenge. We have a lack of integrity. There is not a wholeness. There is a breaking of purpose in my body. So the idea of integrity, think about how this works. My mind and my heart say, I want to follow Jesus I want to believe in Jesus, and I want to honor Jesus with my life. And then my eyes say, but I want to look at this. It might pollute my soul, but my eyes have a different agenda. And so that flesh dimension of my life is contrary and fighting against my purpose and what I've defined myself to do. And many of us have had that challenge where we're like, okay, I want to live fully for Jesus. I want to love everyone around me. And then you get a little offended, and there's another part of your body that balls up into a fist and knocks them in the nose. It's like, that didn't seem to match. It's a lack of integrity. It's a lack of wholeness. You see, God desired you to be about one thing. 
And yet we can so easily, even in our individual body, be factionalized. And we can have one part of us the same, but I want to live this way. And another part of the same, but I can't live this way. And I really want to live for self. And so as a result, the concept of integrity in the individual life and the concept of integrity in the church is of the utmost importance. However, the only way to get it is by the power of God. You can't have integrity in your own strength. You can dig in your pockets and try and find what you need to do it, but it's not just human resolve. It is God power moving into this body and enabling this body to function as a whole, as one. So an individual body that is an integer, or in other words, one that demonstrates integrity. Imagine my eyes being in perfect agreement and unity with my mind and heart. Imagine my tongue only speaking that which is in perfect concord with my spirit convictions. Imagine my appetite and sexuality functioning in perfect congruence with the word of God. Boy, that's a dream right there. So talking about Eric dreams, there's another dream. But this is a dream for the body of Christ, not just individual bodies, even though that's where it starts. A corporate body that is an integer, is it even possible? So I started with the premise, and there's been a lot of people that have thought my premise was totally absurd. I believe that denominations are hazardous to the health of the body of Christ, and I desire in my lifetime to destroy them. I know, doesn't that sound like a great vision? I have no interest in prospering their continuance. I have every desire to see them dismantled and for us to have those division points removed from our midst. And it's sort of like, ha, ha, ha. Eric, you haven't been around very long, have you? I've been around long enough to read the Bible, and I know what it says, and I know it strictly forbids that behavior. Isn't that interesting that so many people in these denominations are so sensitized to doctrinal accuracy, and yet they overlook the very thing that is at the framework of the function of the body of Christ, which is that we are one. Now, I'm not ignorant of why we are denominationalized. And believe me, there are many moments when I prefer denominalization. Did I just say that? Is that, a, is that the right way of saying denominalization? Well, I'm creating some words uh, today. I understand why it's there, and it's so much easier to hang out with your own kind. Believe me, okay? Now, I know my kind, okay? I know what I gravitate towards. But God continually puts me in position where I'm around other kinds and teaching me to love them as he loves them. That's one of the greatest disciplines of the church is to function in love and not just in self-preservation. I want to be around people that stroke me on the back, that pat me on the back, that do, that tell me that I am all right. When you're in the body, you're a different ilk, different stripes all around you. Remember, I called this the film crew. You should study a film crew. It is very interesting. Every, there's certain types of people that gravitate towards certain departments. I mean, it's really funny. You guys should come up and just visit the set, right? And do a study. You know, it's, it's called, you know, a uh, film crew study and, and how, like the electrical and grip are very different than the art department, but they, they have similar function. They're both like producing excellence, like to capture the scene, but they have a tendency to, there's different sorts of people that gravitate towards those different roles. Just interesting to watch. The same is true in the church. We have different styles. We have different personalities. There's people that really want to see the power of God, and so they gravitate more towards experience and towards the working of the Holy Spirit. You have other people that, gra that gravitate more towards the intelligence, so they want solid doctrine. And both sides have merit, but they have a tendency to be at odds one with the other. 
the fact that we need each other is what we need to get freshly out on the table. Actually, you know, those of you that are all interested in the intelligence side over here, you actually need these guys over here. The feeling ones, the ones that are all ooey gooey, I don't want to be around them. We need each other. And that's part of the beauty of it. And so being on a film set, you just sort of chuckle and you look around and you see how different these people are. And yet when they work together, it's magic. It is. I mean, I think that's even what it's called, isn't it? Film magic. It really is remarkable. There was a scene I was watching, and again, I can't tell you anything about it, right? But there was a scene on the uh, screen, the monitor, uh, the other night that I saw. It was in the middle of the night that we were doing. I can say that, can't I? It was in the middle of the night. That's not hazardous to anything. And it was the coolest scene. I mean, this is like, I, I, I had this feeling, even though I had really nothing to do with the scene, right? I didn't create, I didn't act in it, I didn't produce any of the art, I didn't even stick a you know, piece of fake snow in the scene. Didn't do any of that, right? And yet I had this feeling like, yeah, I'm a part of a movie that's, that just made that scene. <laughs> and I am, right? <laughs> even though technically I didn't really have anything to do with the scene, I'm participating in this, and I share in the accomplishment. I share in the joys. When this person rejoices, I can rejoice. When this person is hurting, I then hurt because I'm a part of something. And someone weak over here, that weakens the whole thing. Someone strong over here, it strengthens the whole thing. I'm a part of something. And that's how a film crew functions. But that's actually not a film crew. That's the body of Christ. The body of Christ has been given the template. Film crews borrowed it. And then we forgot it. However, I'd say we should get it back. Is it possible that we could be about one thing instead of 300 different things? You take a group just like this. Now, we are a very unique church body, okay? And I'm going to acknowledge that up front. We are very unique, so we're closer to being about one thing than most churches, right? But in a lot of churches, you could have all sorts of different things that people are about. First of all, they have different doctrinal nuances that they're pushing, and they have agendas with those, okay? And then you have different functions that people get caught up in. It's like, oh, here's what we're doing. This is what the world needs. Someone over here goes, that's not what the world needs. This is what the world needs. And so we argue about what the world needs. And so as a result, we have 300 different things that we're about instead of one. Is it possible that we could be about one thing instead of 300 different things? Is it possible that we could come together to do the same thing with extraordinary precision and excellence? Or is it mandatory that we all do our own thing with mediocre results? Now, you know, if I were to crawl into your mind, you could say, Eric, we can't all do the same thing because we're all different. You're right. And that's why I'm using the film crew as the illustration. The film crew is all doing one thing, but they all do a different thing in doing that one thing. I mean, dramatically different things that they are doing. Their day is totally different one from the other, and yet they all bring it to the table. So they all have a passion. Some guy that's passionate about lighting. You know, some of you are like, people are passionate about lighting? Yep, there are people that are passionate about lighting. How about camera work? There is this whole art to camera work, and they get all into it, and they're really good at it, right? And some of you are like, don't even know how to turn it on, right? And so we don't want to put you in that position. <laughs> However, when all of these people that are focused in completely different ways, seemingly, they have different skills, they have different gifts, when they all bring them towards the one purpose, magic. 
And that is something that, like, I'm asking the question, do you even think this is possible? Is it possible that we could all function our unique giftings, bring them together and change the world and publish, produce a picture of Jesus for this world to behold? Can we believe the same thing? Oh boy, could you imagine setting that out before the body of Christ today? Can we believe the same thing? Well, as long as it's what I believe. Yeah, and all of you need to convert to what I believe. That sounds so absurd, and yet Paul is going to say that exact thing. I want you to all believe the same thing. What? That's ridiculous. That's impossible. Can we aim to accomplish the same thing? Can we all wake up in the morning with a common vision? Can we all be captivated by the same dream? Can we all invest our time, energy, and resources into the exact same project? So over time, I have hazarded thoughts in this direction. You know, it hasn't really accomplished any great ends. But I have thought about, could we all be working on the same project? Okay, just like a movie, right? Okay, we have one movie, and what's our, all our parts in that one movie? And to be honest, I don't have a clear proposal for this today. Like, okay, here's what I think we should do. As much as I want to keep it on the front burner, I want to say, I trust that God has, is stirring this in such a way that God wants us to be knit together better than we are, to be functionally uh, of one mind, one purpose than we are right now. A film set, an amazing picture of everyone doing one thing. You know, so I have pondered the idea of a call sheet for our church. You know, we, in a sense, you know, our uh, team at Ellerslie, we do function like a film set, like a film crew. We do. And it is a miniature version of this, but it's miniature. And we actually know that to bring more people into it is what actually usually creates the challenge. It's like, well, we would actually do better if we had less people than if we have more people, right? Because it's easier to communicate with a small little group. In a, in a film sense, you could try and create a film with three or four, maybe eight people, right? Let's just imagine. And what I'm going to say is it's going to be extremely difficult and time-consuming. But a lot of times the reason you're thinking is, okay, budget-wise, how about we just do this? But there is a reason why. And believe me, I've put my mind on it quite a few times that they bring in a large amount of people with a large you know, array of skill and get it done. And so for us, what could it look like? You know, I've tasted it, I've tasted it on film sets, but I've also tasted it at Ellerslie. I wouldn't say that we've had call sheets at Ellerslie. Uh, and I don't know, it might be very awkward if I started whipping out call sheets and, you know, Sandy gets something. She's in Belize. She's like, I expect you to be at, uh, you know, Ellerslie at 6 a.m. this morning. Uh, but to work together, even when Dan and Sandy and Grace are in Belize, how do we do that? Because that's, again, part of the mystery of the body of Christ. What does God intend the church to look like? Let's just uh, go into some scripture on this point. Now, in light of a film set, because many of us have heard these scriptures, but we have a tendency, some of us even get a little blah when we read some of these scriptures because they've been taken and used in different ways that cause us to be a little uncomfortable around them. Some of us are totally fine with it. But let's read Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, context. This is the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. I know, it's on the screen, right? But that means there's been three chapters before this. The three chapters before this are laying a foundation 
of how someone walks in a worthy manner of this calling. And so a lot of people, in fact, I have an entire message on it starting in chapter four. A lot of Christians start right here. They're like, oh, I just got a command. Oh, I need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of the Lord. So we try in our own strength to do it. However, Ephesians 1 through 3 are going to lay the foundation that you can't do it, he can. He desires to live inside of you. If he inhabits this body with his Holy Spirit, if he empowers you with his grace, now live the life. So I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, endeavoring to keep the integrity of the body of Christ. I added that line. In the bond of peace, there is one body, not three million. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In a film world, though, those may be departments. You know, so he created the art department, he created the camera uh, department, the, uh, the electric and grip department, uh, the production department. There's all these different emphases, strengths, and they balance together and work together. So it's, but why was it given? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried around, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So I'm going to say there we have a production, like uh, it's almost like the whole point of the movie production. What are we doing? that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So there's another uh, passage in Ephesians that's going to have this statement in it. It's going to say, to the intent that. It's a great line to sort of say, what is this about? What is our production? What are we building? What is our message? To the intent that, dot, 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 what does God want us to produce together? What are we being gathered together to do? to just listen, to be a little encouraged, to be a little stronger in a dying age, to have a little flickering light in the midst of a darkening world, or to change that world. So what is our intent? What is the intent of God for us as a church? Ephesians 3. So we were just in Ephesians 4, and we're going back a chapter. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, says Paul, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that. So Paul is preaching. He's been given grace to do something, to proclaim a message. To the intent that. Listen to this intent. This is amazing. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church 
to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So could you imagine we're coming to a, a film set known as the church and we all have our unique skills and you know, we all are, are buying into this and we're saying, okay, I'm willing to spend my life. By the way, in this last week on a film set, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of time. There's a lot that goes into this. This is like a full-time thing. I'm having a tough time tending to the other things in my life. I think there's something to that. When you give your life to Jesus, it's sort of difficult to tend to the other things in your life that now don't matter. Comparatively, I think it's time to reassess value. What are we here for? To the intent that through this film set, the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed into the heavenly realms. I mean, that's quite the epic picture that we have been commissioned to gather together with our unique strengths and to work together in such a way. There will be some that will be more noted. They will be seen. Their names will be known, and there will be others that might be hidden in their work. And Paul makes that clear. However, we give extraordinary honor to those that are in hidden positions in the body of Christ. For instance, those with the gift of generosity. It is a that is brought to the table. However, if you're going to give according to the biblical pattern, you're not announcing it with a trumpet. So therefore, your giving is in secret. And yet, how important is it in the body of Christ? I think most of us would agree that's a pretty important gift. Therefore, we give great honor to those gifts that are hidden. On a film set, there are a lot of people that are doing work that is not seen. Some of us in this very room could raise our hand. How many things have you done that were unseen? And we could probably start listing them. There was a lot this week. In fact, I would say 98% of what is going on on a film set is unseen. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's only a small amount that is seen. And usually most of it's in the final product. And for us, we have to be willing to bring everything to the table. To say, Lord, to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed through us to the heavenly realms. That's what we're about. That Jesus Christ, that we would grow up unto a full maturity, that we would resemble in our corporate bearing, in our individual lives, Jesus. Oh Lord, how do we do this? Well, we need to have one purpose. And as we start working together, towards that one purpose, it shapes us, it changes us, it alters us. It's iron, sharpening iron. And we get better in our representation of this amazing purpose. So it says, to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's a passage, same author, Paul, the apostle, in 1 Corinthians 1. Now 1 Corinthians is what I would call a corrective letter. It is a big rebuke to a church that has... <clears throat> a lack of integrity, a lack of oneness, a lack of wholeness. They're shattered. They're in pieces. They are factionalized. So, and this is Paul, and he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. You know, that's, that's fairly clear in Scripture. 
that we speak the same thing, which sounds totally preposterous, I have to admit, right? We're going to speak the same thing. That means we have a common message. That means we're producing the same film. You can't be on a film set and have half the group producing a different film. Technically, some of you could say, what about behind the scenes? Okay, okay, that's, that's different, but it's still contributing to the whole. But we're all speaking the same thing. We're producing the same thing. We're, we're about the same thing. So if we ask everyone on the crew what the working title is, we all know it. If we all say, but where, where are we supposed to be for breakfast this morning? We all know it. We're speaking the same thing. We don't have someone says, oh, I think we're supposed to be here. And someone else says, oh, I think we're supposed to be over here. We all know because we're receiving the same call sheet. That you be perfectly, there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? One accord, one place. So we're going to see something happen in the church of Jesus Christ. It's in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. And this phrase is associated with it. One accord, one place. There is something about this that is important to the body of Christ. This accord, this one accord. So let's dig a little deeper into that. Here's the scripture in Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now what's special about that? I would say this is the fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross. What did he purchase for us? Not just forgiveness from sins, but this. The life of God indwelling individuals and the church. That we could fulfill that great intent. That the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed. That we would be conformed into the image of Christ. That we would be matured unto the perfect man. There it is, right there. And yet, when that day came, when that was given to the church, they were all with one accord in one place. So for us to regain this power, to regain, it's there, but for us to facilitate it and to become vessels of it, I think there is something to this one accord, one place idea. Homothumadon, I mean, quite the, quite the word there. Uh, so this is actually the word that translates as one accord, one place. We just have a whole bunch of English words to say it. But homo, haumau is probably a better way of saying it. Together, unified, agreed, or speaking of a group assembled. And then thimos, passion, thirst, desire. Isn't that interesting? As the intense panting or yearning for water in the desert. So it's a group all gathered together with a common thirst, a common passion. A common panting. We're after the same thing. We need to get this. They're after something together. It's a oneness. And if you were to ask me, does the church of Jesus Christ have that today? I don't want, I'm not one of those guys that likes to belittle the church. I love the church of Jesus Christ, but I'm not exactly sure if we're homothumadon. That we are all in one accord after one thing. That we have one intent, that we have one desire, that we have one yearning. I know we have it there. It's like in the mix, what we're supposed to have. However, there's, some, there's a breaking in us. There's a, there's a shattering, just like back in, the, in 1 Corinthians. I feel like 1 Corinthians is not just written for a first century church. It's written for a 21st century church. I think it's for us 
I think it's something we need. So the fire of heaven, here's my conclusion point. The fire of heaven seems to work in and through, quote unquote, the group assembled together with unity and agreement, sharing in a common thirst for heaven's power. One thing I am convinced of is that we are still short of what we need to function fully as the body of Christ. But if we accept where we're at and just say, oh, this is just the way it is. This is the generation I was raised in. This is just the way the church has always been. Actually, this isn't the church the way the church has always been in my life. This is weaker than it's ever been. And that could be somewhat discouraging. Eric's, you know, up here barking on a stage and the church gets weaker, weaker, weaker. It's like someone could whisper to me and go, Eric, I don't think you're helping. <laughs> in fact, maybe it's because of you that it's getting weaker. And that's where faith comes in. You have to freshly rally together in your soul. As an individual soul, I have to rally to say, I know my God's purpose in this earth, and I refuse to back down. I refuse to grow tired and weary in this battle. I desire to see the fullness of God. I have a thirst. I have a passion. It's a panting for water in a desert. I have it, and I know you guys do too. But we haven't gathered together with that to the point that I think God is ready to endue us with a greater strength. And I'm not, I, I can't mastermind this. I can simply respond to what the Spirit of God is doing. I need the call sheet from the Holy Spirit just like you do. I don't think that a church should whip up call sheets. I, need, I think it's the Holy Spirit that is supposed to whip that up and gather us together in that same upper room. That he brings us together and, and gives us the same yearning, the same passion. We're about the same thing. 1 Corinthians, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So schism, if you're not familiar with the word, that's a breaking. That's a division. There should be no division. This is, an, this is integrity. This is supposed to be an integer. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. So if you work on a film project, now, I've, I've never had this satisfaction, right, where you work on a film project and then the actor wins the Academy Award. It's like, well, you, that it, in a sense, it strangely honors you, or it's number one in the box office. Like, hey, I worked on that. In other words, even though the director might be the one noted or the actors might be the one noted, you participated in something, and so therefore you're honored. However, if something suffers in the process, like I said, if, like on the, in this past week, we had multiple people that were struggling with sickness. Everyone feels it because that person has to stay in bed today. We need to still accomplish this. That person's role is very important. And even though the director over here is a very talented person, he can't just leave his position and do that. We need, that's important. That's an important role. And everyone needs to be functioning. So therefore, if one person suffers, all suffer. We're in this together. We feel each other's pain, but we also rejoice with each other. 
It's the body of Christ. John 17, 21 through 23. And I'm going to finish with this. It's supposed to be actually a shorter message. My shorter messages have a tendency, because once I tell myself it's a shorter message, then I relax a little more, right? And then they end up being similar length. John 17. Jesus has a desire. This is oftentimes called the high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's asking for one specific thing here. This is similar to what we're talking about, right? That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't that an interesting conclusion to that? There's a oneness that is needed so that the world believes that Jesus was sent. What a fascinating statement. You see, when we function as we ought, it reveals Jesus. It reveals his purpose. It reveals where that purpose came from. It came from the heart of God because he so loved the world. And that message becomes clear to a dying world when we are one in them, in the us, in the triune God. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I want to pray very specifically, because it's not something, I, and I realize this, it's not something I can manufacture. It's somewhat of a helpless feeling as a pastor when you have dreams. Way back in 2015, actually, I had a dream long before that for this. That's just when I found it, right? When we have dreams and desires for the power of God to be realized in the church. And yet I don't, I don't just open a spigot and it happens. I have to pray. I have to wait on God. I have to persist. And time and again, I've persisted, but then I'll grow sort of dry in my praying. I don't know if you guys have had this happen, especially the things that take decades to happen. You have a tendency to go, you have your seasons, like you fight and you growl and then you sort of die off. And then you awaken to it and you, you know, you get freshly stirred and you start growling again and then you can sort of die off. That sort of bothers me, you know, that I die off and I flag in my intensity. I don't like it. I think it's a very human thing. I think persistence is needed and we need one another even to persist. There's nothing quite like, like an Ellerslie uh, leadership gathering where someone in the midst is saying, hey guys, we're supposed to be doing this and you're freshly convicted that you're not. And that's why the body of Christ is important. We sharpen one another. There is something beyond what we have right now. Do not believe the lie that the devil is going to win this thing. Haman hangs on his own gallows. The the rescue, the redemption, and the power of God is going to be realized in this earth. I would prefer it to be realized now. I can be in a little bit of a rush for these things, and I don't like it when the devil has a little boast over to the side. I want to see the devil underneath the feet of my king. This is our role. This is where we come in. To see that grand demonstration of the kingdom of heaven, we have to catch the vision together. And we have to lay aside petty disagreements and rally together on singular salient agreement points.
What are we about? What are we here for? Let's do this thing together. Father, we ask that you would knit us together as one. We agree with that prayer in the garden. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would demonstrate your power just as you did in the early church to bring us together, to showcase your strength and your power in and through us, the believing church. Lord, most of us in here don't depend on signs and wonders. We don't demand them, but Lord, whatever it takes to shape this world, to change its trajectory, to alter the course of nations, do it in us and through us. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way even today. Lord, we submit this request before you, not just for this local body, but for the global church at large. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.